the main user interfaces today are the smartphone, the laptop, and the desktop computer. Some people today interact with voice interfaces, augmented reality, virtual reality, and automotive computer screens like the Tesla. In the future, these other interfaces will become more common. Developers will want to be able to expose their applications to these new interfaces. For example, let's say I'm a developer who builds a podcast playing application. I have a website and a mobile app, but what if I want to expose that app to a voice interface? Or what if I want to expose a specific piece of functionality from that app to make shortcuts easier? Android slices are user interface components that expose pieces of application functionality to Google Search, Google Assistant, and other applications in Android. Jason Monk is a software engineer who works on Android slices at Google, and he joins the show to discuss how mobile user interfaces are changing. He talks about the motivation behind Android Slices and the engineering behind this newer building block for Android developers. We haven't done too many shows about Android-related subjects, but I hope we do more in the future. Jason Monk, you are a software engineer at Google. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. You work on Android, and one of the features that we're going to discuss today is Android Slices. More generally, I think Android Slices represents machine learning and search features becoming more deeply integrated with the Android operating system. Describe how the experience of the mobile user is changing thanks to machine learning and search being more deeply integrated into the operating system. Okay, that's interesting. I would characterize it slightly differently. I think that like enabling machine learning and search more deeply in the operating system is definitely a goal. But you know, at a higher level, Slice is really what we're trying to do is we're trying to break the monolithic app model which is on your phone right now, you normally open an app, do some stuff, interact with that app. And then when you want to do something else, you open a new app. And so Slice is trying to break that up and say like, look, let's try to bring more of apps outside of themselves and into the OS so that users don't have to do as much jumping around. In that perspective, that seems like a real paradigm shift, even from if we're talking about desktop applications, you know, if I'm using a browser, I'm using the browser. If I'm using... Slack, I'm using Slack. I guess to, to some gr- degree, an analog might be you get, you know, on Chrome, you get these browser notifications sometimes. And even if you're on a screen where a browser is not open, the Chrome browser notification might still appear on your screen. So in that sense, the the monolithic browser application is is broken up. Do you have any other analogs for how applications are broken up on other platforms, things other than mobile? Ooh, things other than mobile. Anything widgety jumps to mind. You know, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge expert on other systems. I'm a pretty big Linux user, and a lot of them have, you know, in GNOME Shell, there's like in the top right-hand corner, there's like a task tray where you can add various things there. And there's a way to get ongoing apps in the bottom left. So like anything, anything sort of like ambient, you know, indications, I think, are similar models. You know, and since I don't have many examples non-mobile, I'll, I'll give more mobile examples. Okay, sure. You can go ahead and jump into that, the ex- mobile examples of slices. Because there's definitely, well, and not just slices. Like, so the idea of having UI outside an app has existed for a long time. You know, like we've had notifications on Android for forever, and we've had remote views on Android for forever. And that's how widgets and custom notifications work. 
The new attempt with slices is to try to come up with something which is generalizable enough, but still feels integrated. And that's kind of the trade-off between the notification space and the widget space existing, and that we're like trying to think about when we were tackling slices as a new thing. Can you give a few examples? Yeah. So when you're in Launcher, for example, if you have a widget, like a weather widget or something like that on your home screen, uh, a lot of people have these. You, you'll notice that the widget doesn't always necessarily feel very connected to Launcher. Like it's it's very just like something which sits there. And and while it can have like rich content and lots of custom layout and feel really branded, there's no good ways for it to interact because basically to the home app, to the Launcher, it's just like a black box. It's like, hey, there is some remote v- view here. Launcher, by the way, that's like the desktop or the home screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Android, you hit the center button on the bottom of your screen. And you end up on on Launcher or Home or whatever anyone whatever anyone's current name for it is. <laughs> but yeah, and so on the other extreme end of the spectrum is, you know, if you look at notifications, not the custom ones, like if you look at notification templates, you know, in the past few releases in Android, we've had some really great integrations there. Uh, what we call it is Dyson. I'm not sure what it's called publicly. But like the thing where the uh, the notification icons, they follow from the status bar as you drag down your notification shade and you have that visual continuity and there's all sorts of animations between states. And that's the kind of like deep integration with the surface we can do when we have information about data inside. But there's, there's like this trade-off that you pay between like how much the app has control versus how much they can integrate with the surface. So a few examples I've seen are, if we're talking about slices explicitly, you can have these actions that are decoupled from the from the actual application itself. So for example, summon a ride with Lyft or play a song with Spotify, these application-specific ways of interacting with content, with apps. Can you give a few examples for how those are accessed through slices and what is new about that? Yeah, clarify nomenclature, because actions is a very overloaded word. When we were telling the slices story at IO and Sense, we've talked a lot about them tied in with app actions at the same time. And I think that's what you're referencing here. And so like, there's kind of two concepts in there. There's like, oh, I just want to take an action in an app. And then there's like app actions, which is like sort of a thing. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. I should have been more correct with my language. No, 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 no. That's totally fine. I just like, I wanted to like identify that. And that's a point that we even see internally. We get confused a lot of the time talking about it. But yeah, so the way app actions works is... Google defines a set of actions that it thinks a user might want to take. And yeah, and those are things like, you know, book a ride or play a song or whatever. And the real meat of what App Actions does is it also defines a schema for input parameters. And so in Android, there are lots of built-in intents which are like open the web browser or whatever. But this is like really like a parameterized way to say, hey, I want a location parameter here, or I want an artist here. So you can say, I want to, you know, play music with an artist and it can go and look up and say like, oh, I know what apps actually know how to play music and will receive an artist. And so the way that ties into slices, and so this is a very interesting model, it's a, because it's really easy to, to kind of think of these things as one thing, because they're both trying to bring out parts of an app closer to the user. But the model I like to think of it as is app actions is like a, a deep link discovery mechanism. So you think of like you're building a way to link way into an app, you know, like you are going to go straight to an artist of Taylor Swift or whatever. You're going to go straight to booking a ride in Uber or Lyft and something like that. And slices is the display mechanism for that. And the way they link together is through intents. 
intents are the common language of Android of how everything works. And so once you have an action built, that basically becomes a URL slash an intent deep link into your app. And we have a translation mechanism in Slices where you can link basically any intent, which is going towards your app, to like the concept of like a previewable or an ex an extracted state of your app where you can see that in a different surface like Google search. So if we're talking about those three vocabulary words, intent, action, and slice, yeah. if we were talking about, for example, the slice, the high level interpretation of play a song by Taylor Swift on Spotify, what would be the intent and the action that might correspond to that slice? Yeah. So the action would be something like uh, play a song, and the parameter would be, you know, uh, the artist name or, or um, artist ID or something like that. And the way App Actions works is it tells is the app gets to define how those parameters transform into an intent. Um, so the app gets a control there. So it's really hard t- for me to define it, but like they could easily just say this is, you know, like you know, package name slash play a song slash artist ID, you know. And that could just be their scheme of how they receive them in their app. Was I completely mistaken around the the search and machine learning features being connected to slices? Because my understanding was, you know, in the ideal world, so at some point in the future, we should be able to control so much more of our Android device through the assistant or uh, or just through entering like the voice assistant or just entering a simple like search query command. And you should be able to have these deep links exposed intelligently or indexed in a way that a voice command can correspond to them. Uh, is, is Slices connected at, to that kind of conversation, to the ability to trigger certain behaviors of your phone through the assistant or through, you know, some just single text NLP search protocol? Yeah, no, they absolutely are connected. I'm sorry, because I started off by like walking away from that. No, it's just because like I wanted to start by kind of like proposing slices as more of a foundational technology of like the way we extract that information. I think that app actions and slices like absolutely do serve as those building blocks of like, how do we even present that? So like if you were to say, you know, a year ago before we have these, you know, okay, we want to start building more intelligent things and we want to start proposing stuff to the user. You know, we didn't even know how to get a hold of that or let alone show it to them other than, you know, just guessing deep links like, you know, crawling the web and figuring out what URL schemes various apps have. And so this gives us a way to address those basically to say, you know, if we know what the user wants, now we can construct that link into an app and even present that data sooner through a slice. Yeah, tell me more about the design decisions that led to this model of where you have actions, intents, or intents, actions, and slices, because I can imagine that three years ago, this was total greenfield, and you knew that voice was going to become a big deal. You knew that the interfaces that people are going to be using are going to change over time. How did you come to the conclusion that this model for the slices being the path to the to the deep linking would be the way to do things. Yeah, that's interesting. I can tell a little bit of backstory on slices. I wasn't er- involved in the early days of actions. It's interesting. These two projects kind of came up, you know, organically in Google, just all on their own. And then we kind of got like paired together, like, you know, people being like, Hey, you know, you should really talk to this other team. They, they really seem related. We're like, yeah, okay. We need to tell some sort of unified story here because they make sense together. But yeah, in terms of slices, it's interesting. There's a future-looking Android UX group within Google, which is kind of where Slices were born. And Slices were very different 
from where they started to where they end. And I think that's true for a lot of um, projects. I think in the beginning, there was a lot more about the transformative properties of a slice, which was not only about bringing stuff out of an app, but we were thinking about moving things between services, which when you think about it, is kind of like about user control. Like if the user has a piece of content and they say, oh, I don't want to interact with it on this surface. I want to drag it over to my home screen and interact with it here. Or like my Chromecast. Yeah, or even to other devices. And so that's kind of where it started. And and I mean, we, we still continue to strive for that. We want... We'd like them to be like universal and, and movable between surfaces and between devices someday. And so if you look at like sort of the internals of slices, you'll si- kind of see some of that structure and how that comes out. Like, you know, at the top level, slices is very much just like a builder API. You're like, hey, I want to make a list of things. Here are my titles. Here are my summaries. But if you dig into that one level deeper, you'll find that they sit on top of like a tree structure of nodes, which are full of the base level elements of content of, you know, text and icons and pending intents for actually triggering actions and a set of like presentational hints. And so that layer of abstraction underneath them is meant to make them more flexible and movable. Let's go back to that example of the playing a song. So if I'm searching in my Google search. So on Android, for people who are not Android users, on at least on the default for the Pixel, which is the phone that I have, there's a search bar at the bottom of the home screen, and you can just enter in stuff into the search bar. So if I enter in play a song by, and my phone knows that perhaps I like Taylor Swift, who <laughs> doesn't, <laughs> and I have Spotify on my phone, and I'm logged in on Spotify, and the phone is able to recognize that if I just preface things with play a song, it w- it can recommend play a song by Taylor Swift and I can and it has a deep linking kind of thing and I can just click on that and it'll go directly into Spotify and it'll open up Spotify with that song playing. Now, in order to present that search result in the autocomplete suggestions, the search application needs to have some permissions into Spotify and Spotify needs to have some things in memory presumably, so that it can present some suggestions to me that are tailored based on my preferences. So how does abstraction in that permissioning and the connection of the data model between the search application and Spotify itself, how is that modeled? Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, space because it's so privacy-centric. You know, you could easily be typing things into your search box that you don't want going to Spotify, right? So... (laughs) There have been lots of rounds of this. So the way it works is there's this API called Firebase App Indexing. That's a pre-existing API. And what that does is it lets apps push content at Google saying, here, I've got some personal content on my device that I know is about my user. And I'm going to send you some keywords and information about that content and usage data so that you can surface it and deep link into me. And so that's been existing, but not shown as prominently until recently. And so what we're doing is we're building on top of that API. And so now you can actually link together what was previously a Firebase app indexing entity to now a slice. And so they can use all the pre-existing cues to say like, oh, you know, this is clearly trying to play music. This should go to Spotify. And I know it's this entity in our database. And now they can say, oh, hey, this is the the slice that I want to show right now. I see. So so Spotify is presenting some information to something in the cloud, the the Firebase indexing service, and then your search application is also communicating with the same data storage system 
in the cloud. So it's, it, it feels like it's all happening on your phone, but it's actually all taking place in the cloud. No, that's actually on your device. Uh, those Firebase APIs oh, interact oh, with I see. Google okay. Play services on your phone and store that all locally. And so, and now that's just the base case. Let me take that and make it a little bit more complicated. So even if, you know, we, we have that all set up and, you know, we say, oh, okay, we want to deep link into some app. We want to show their slice. The default behavior of a slice is when you show it, the app would know that because they need to present that data. It would need to be live. But that's really dangerous with the security implications of the search box. And so what we do instead is we cache that data for things that are general term queries. So that means if you type in the name of an app, like YouTube, you will get the default app slice. And we consider that non-sensitive data. Like, yeah, okay, YouTube can know you typed in YouTube into the search box. But if you type in something random, you know, like the, an artist's name, that case, when you're pushing keywords and, and entity data at the Firebase app indexing API, it will also grab a snapshot of that slice. And it will hold that in its database so that it can show a cached version of it whenever the user is querying. And once you interact with it or like give us a signal by touching somewhere saying, hey, I actually want this, then we'll wake up the app and make sure that all of the data is live. But until then, we won't give them any signal that it's there. Okay, can you go through that example again with, so you kind of went through it with YouTube there. Go through it again with Spotify. So for how Spotify's, yeah, go for Taylor Swift or what example? Okay, so Spotify, if you type in, uh, say Spotify. Into Google search. Yeah, if you type in Spotify into Google search, we'll immediately wake up the Spotify app and say, hey, what's your primary slice? Like, what's your main slice? And and they can say, oh, here's our Discover Weekly playlist. Show that as our default slice. If you type in Taylor Swift, ahead of time, Spotify will say, oh, I know that Jeff likes Taylor Swift. I'm going to send that to the Google index and I'm going to say, I also have a slice at slash artist slash Taylor Swift that you can show for this. And Google Play services ahead of time will go grab that slice and say, hey, what do you actually have to show me? It'll get all of the content from Spotify and serialize it into its database. And so now you type in Taylor Swift into the search box and it knows that it wants to show something from Spotify, but rather than fetching it from Spotify, it fetches it from the, the database cache that it has and you see shake it off. Now you say you want to listen to that song, you click on it. At that point, we know there's an intent. We know that you're actually looking for Spotify and you're not just typing in random words into the search bar. And then we connect you with a Spotify app. So to some degree, Spotify needs to manage this collection of suggested slices, right? Like they need to, they need to be able to either build some internal recommendation system or define just some uh, statically configured recommendations. Yeah, well, and so that's kind of where the um, the link between app actions and slices comes in. So in the model that we just talked through, that is all without app actions. And so now some of this is very you know greenfield and hypothetical, but you can imagine a scenario hypothetical because you know we have we have to launch it and figure out how that even works. So if you have app actions and slices implemented in Spotify, you can imagine a world where you type in Taylor Swift and Google recognizes that Taylor Swift is an entity it doesn't do any lookup from like what Spotify has. It instead says, oh, Taylor Swift is an entity. I know that they care about this. And then it looks up an action related to that. It says, oh, it could play songs from Taylor Swift. And it says, oh, hey, Spotify has an action for playing songs for Taylor Swift. Let me translate that into an intent. And that's the first stage of like, that's all actions doing all of its magic. And then you can take that a step beyond, which is 
if you have all the information and you have an intent, which is a deep link, you can say, hey, is there a slice for this? And rather than just showing, you know, an icon and the words Taylor Swift, you can say, hey, please give me a slice for this, which is a playlist, you know, containing a bunch of songs. So but in the current model, it is this necessity that in the app on your phone somewhere, Spotify has declared here is some default slices and then maybe they have some other batch job that is generating Jeff's recommended slices. Yeah. Yeah. That would be the, the V zero implementation of like Spotify adding support for slices. Okay. And what's to prevent spot. I mean, could they just bloat that, that slice file so much that every time I'm searching anything in Google, they're recommending some kind of podcast or, or audio file to me, or is there some limitation on the number of slices that can be recommended? Yeah, there are some limitations. And uh, luckily, we get to sit on top of the app indexing architecture for this stuff. And the app index, the Firebase app indexing team has done lots of like, really great work in the past. So we don't have to think about this as much, which is really nice. But yeah, there is a limit on the number of I think it's I think they're called documents, I think is what they're called. There's a limit on the number of documents you can push at it. And then on top of that, there's a limit on the number of keywords that you sit on top of that. But also at the core of it sits, you know, the magic Google proprietary ranking, <laughs> obviously. I know it's really hard to rank on device content, but it's something they're working on and getting way better at. And to do that, we actually take into account usage signals. So, and some of this is self-reported, but like it's it's relatively easy to determine if an app is just pushing at you random usage data rather than actual usage data. But Spotify, every time you go in and listen to Taylor Swift, it can notify Google Play Services and say, hey, Jeff's listening to Taylor Swift again. And that will give Google a little bit of information saying, hey, we should bump this ranking up a little bit more. And so even if all apps register on the same keyword Taylor Swift, um, it will only show the ones that it has a reason to believe that you want it. You know, what's so interesting about this is that we went for many years with uh, the, the common phrase you would hear is, is dumb device, smart cloud. And, <laughs> and it, here it's gradually becoming the opposite. If you imagine this Firebase app indexing service that has to index the ranking for all the apps and their intents, all the apps and their slices or their actions on your phone. You know, if you have Spotify and Uber and Postmates and Instacart and Amazon, and all of them have their slices, and you enter in Shake on your search bar, like your phone to some degree, or some there's some interaction between your phone and the cloud where they're determining, should they give you a on-device recommendation from one of the, sli- the, the slices, like either it's shake it off from Spotify, or order a milkshake from Postmates, or, you know, get uh, directions to Shake Shack from Google Maps. Is there any, like, trade-off between how much work you want to delegate to that on-device indexing service versus the, you know, traditional Google search in the cloud thick indexing service? I think there's a huge trade-off there. I will say, uh, this is speculation because I'm on the Android team. I'm not on the Google search team, but, you know, waivers landed. Yeah. So I think the trade-off is, I, I think because the cloud is so much more powerful, you want to put as much content there as possible, as much of the ranking, as much of the decisions there because not only do you have the power, but you also have the information from other people. 
to feed that, like uh, click through rates of other people and how that happened and and what they actually wanted versus what you actually want. But the the key part about what's on your device is your device is personalized. Your device is yours. And so, you know, the Google Cloud servers may or may not, depending on account linking and whatever and logins, know what songs you actually listen to on Spotify, whereas on your device, it knows absolutely. And it's really easy for it to know that. Tell me more about how you expect people to change their designs and their UX decision-making process for applications where they are using slices. So I think that within their app, there would be very little change in UX. I think for the most part, assuming, you know, currently they have a well-structured app, which has some some amount of deep links. And so like, you know, when there is clear user intent, there is somewhere in their app that you wanted to go. You know, you assume that like you wanted to be looking at the Taylor Swift playlist in Spotify and like assuming that Spotify has a screen where you could be looking at that. I think that there's very little impact there. I think what it the difference is, is the accelerators to get there. And um, also there's a lot that goes into the UX of thinking about a slice itself. Um, you know, like what kind of content you put there really is going to affect the user's experience. And a lot of that is just put in the app's hands of like, you know, they could, it could be that you're typing in shake it off and they decide to say, I'm going to show you artists related to Taylor Swift might be a good decision depending on your music taste, but it also might be that like Spotify knows that you're going to be playing shake it off and they should present that button to you right there. What else can, if Spotify wants to change the slices experience, wh- how else are they configuring that? Are, are they like, do they have the ability to configure that? Do they want to present you artists related to Taylor Swift? Like what's the API for Spotify to present a variety of slices and not just one that's, you know, as naive as play a song by Taylor Swift. Yeah. Well, so we do, we do some basic checking to make sure that, uh, you know, your keywords are tied to your slice in some way that you're not just like spamming keywords, but beyond that, pretty much all of the content is in the app's control and the way the API looks it, the best words I've heard describing this is like a simplified layout language you know, we wanted the templates to be really flexible. And so when you're building them, it's kind of like you're, you're constructing a UI, but it's a very restricted UI. And so you can say at the top level, all slices right now are a list. So you say, hey, I've got a list. And then you say like, hey, I've got a header and the title is Taylor Swift. And, you know, the subtitle is other artists related to Taylor Swift or something like that. And then you can add individual rows, which have and rows can have all sorts of content. They could have, they could have a slider. They could have switches. They could have um, titles and subtitles. And we also have ways to present stuff uh, horizontally. So if you want to show stuff in a grid, like if you were doing a weather forecast or something like that, so it's kind of like composing a simplified layout. Tell me more about what your role has been in the development of slices. What's been your involvement, and are you are you engineering the actual? code for slices or are you more of a uh, of an architect for what's going on huh yeah that's really changed over time it's been interesting i am the engineering lead for slices i started off by being the architect and coder for a lot of it there were two engineers when we started trying to take over this project and productionize it and say like okay let's take this ux concept of slices and say like what if we want to make this a real thing and from there, it's kind of scaled a bit. I, I would say most of my time these days is more in an architectural role. I spend a lot less time coding. I don't code, not at all, but I do, I do code some. 
but I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what is our structure right now? What is our, what would it look like if we pick up new surfaces and what effect does that have on our APIs? I have a really great engineer, uh, Maddie, who was talking with me at IO and she pretty much handles all of templates on her own. So I don't even have to think about that most of the time, but yeah. So that answer the question. It does. So when you say for new surfaces, what does that look like? What kind of surfaces are you talking about? I don't think I can really answer that. We try not to speculate on the future. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I I would like to see a lot of new surfaces. So we did some shows with Flutter recently. We did a couple, couple Flutter shows. And I think the idea of Flutter is interesting because it's, it's supposed to be surface agnostic. It's more about designing UI that's super flexible for any surface. So are you thinking more abstractly about just how you make this UI component work for, for any surface? Does it you want it to be compatible with kind of anything? Yeah, we do. And that, that's kind of something we have to think about every time we add a new template. So one thing I'm not scared to talk about is we have said that we're looking at messaging templates for the future. We don't have anything messaging specific right now, but we want it in the future. And you can see in our code base, if you just look at AOSP, that it's there. And so when we think about that, we have to stop and say, not only like, what is the backwards compatibility story if someone's running an old version or whatever, but also like, what does that look like on other surfaces in the future? And so an interesting case of this is um, you have a Pixel phone, right? I do. Okay. So on your always on display, you're seeing some stuff like weather and date and, you know, upcoming calendar events. Yeah. Okay. Under the hood, that's actually powered by Slice technology. Hmm. And so we use uh, slices as the data transport layer for what that is. And at the UI layer, we say like the always on display is, is a very different surface than a normal slice view. I mean, it's got all of its own custom rendering. But that's an example of like when you are constructing a new template, you have to stop and think about like what are the core building blocks of this data and what if we want to present it in a different way. And so you'll notice that even in the APIs, if you look at things like if you want to add a slider, it's called an input range and not a slider because we don't guarantee that it's going to be a slider. If a user is interacting with voice in the future or if they're on a different device that doesn't have an easy touch screen, they might be hitting buttons or talking at it. Who knows? But the idea is that like the core data model there is you want an input range. I don't understand. What's the difference between an input range and a slider? I guess in if, it, if you're talking about a voice interface or like an augmented reality interface, I'm not necessarily sliding. Yeah. I'm looking through my glasses or my VR headset at an input range, and I may not have the like the physical sensation of sliding something. I'm just looking at this this range thing. Yeah, or you could, I mean, you could... Imagine a world where you're interacting with the assistant. You say like, hey, what's my brightness? And you hear it's 45 and you say, hey, set my brightness to 75. Hmm. You know, and and that it very much is not like... There's no slide. There's no slide. There's no even uh, UI in that case. Okay. Can you talk more about assistant and how this fits in with assistant? Like, Mm. (laughs) that that sounds like a no. (laughs) Uh, No, I, I can a little bit. Okay. We've definitely talked to assistant. We think that they fit in in some way. I think the answer is we don't know how. You know, I think the assistant has some very specific conversational APIs that are like really, really good. And so it's really hard to think about like, you know, do you want to generalize those or do you want just to use them as is and, and let that be a specific thing? You know, it's kind of like a trade off between like easy developer adoption and like power and control. What do you mean voice APIs that are really good? Actions on Google has, there's a whole API for um, a way for developers to 
kind of define grammar of how you interact with the assistant. And I'm really not an expert here. I just like, I know of it. And so it is possible for apps to do those kinds of integrations now. And so like, when you know that that's the landscape, you kind of have to be like, all right, well, what would be our role if we wanted to be there? Oh man. Can you tell me more about just like how you navigate this developing for voice? I've talked to a few people who are working on voice stuff, both on the show and off the show. It sounds like it's so nascent. Like people really just don't know what they're doing today. Can you tell me more about just what that experience is like? Because there's, I imagine there must have been false starts and kind of you don't want to overcommit on any particular strategy, but it's hard to get significant testing without deploying something. How do you develop voice? Yeah, I'm just going to skip that altogether. I have no idea. You know, I talk to those engineers internally, like that happens, but I don't know. They certainly seem confident when we talk to them. Mm. So yeah, they have it figured out. Yeah. You should have one of them on the show and uh, then we'll find out. Uh, yeah, I absolutely should. <laughs> but here it, we see that you have to have a lot of interactions with, with disparate teams. So you've got interactions with voice teams, with search teams. It sounds like with the Firebase team. How do you juggle all those different conversations and, and keep the kind of the the interests of the different teams aligned because i can imagine this could lead to to kind of sprawl or or gaps in communication what's what's been your i don't know your experience in in inter-team communication yeah you asked how i manage that the answer is poorly um (laughs) yeah it is really hard we really regularly between so for for the core part of you know slices showing up in search there's really been like three core teams we need to think about that there. And that's us, the slices team, Firebase app indexing, like you talked about, and the search team. And well, and specifically like the sub team of search that like works on those, you know, really upfront suggestions that are like crazy low latency. It's so hard to like think about all of those different product angles. And at the same time, I think that what it comes down to in the end as to whether like you can find something that makes it all the way to launch is whether it is something which is good for users overall. You know, there was a lot of like, there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of, you know, like uh, privacy questions like we talked about that are like really deep and complex. And I think the reason we made it this far is that we all kind of shared this belief that like, oh, if we had slices on our phone in search, we'd like that. I'd like, I'd really like to have that personally. And like, you know, and so that kind of keeps it going. But yeah, and uh, the difference in just like technology, like the way, you know, Android is developed in open source and we've got, you know, yearly release cycles, whereas they've got apps and all this kind of craziness of mismatching release cycles happens too. Yeah. So if there's somebody out there that's listening and they work at... I stumped you. I love it. <laughs> no, this is actually something that the people have asked for more discussion on the show about. So, But if there's somebody out there who works at Salesforce or Oracle or Amazon or one of these other behemoths, and they are trying to learn the diplomacy and the, you know, the education necessary to pull through uh, or to push through a highly technical change that's going to impact so many different interest groups within a large organization. Do you have any, any suggestions or tactics? Yeah. The thing that we try to do here is I say we, like we all are unified. No, we all have our own ways of dealing with this, but the way my boss has trained me and I've kind of tried to embody this. Now I, I have a temper and I'm not always perfect at it. No one is, but uh, you're always going to hit cases where you disagree on something. 
And so what you need to assume at that moment is that, you know, the other team is trying to do what's best for their product. And if they aren't, they wouldn't be here. That's not, you know, they wouldn't do this for their job every day if they weren't trying to do what's best for their product. And so you need to stop and think about, you know, is there a path forward which is best for both you and them? You know, is, some, is there some scenario where this works out for all of us? And that's a really hard thing to do, especially like as an engineer, that is, that is like one of the hardest things I've ever gone through is like, you know, you have this design in your head, this architecture, and you go into a room and you have a room full of people and they're like, no, 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 there's no way we can do that. That's a terrible plan. And to like actually stop and like, you know, not be frustrated and not yell at them and to be able to be like, wait, but why? Like, why does, you know, what information do they have that I don't have? about their product, about what they're trying to do for their users. Well, getting back to lower level engineering concerns, what have been the hardest parts? Well, I see how it is. You don't like my answers there. <laughs> no, no, I, I like it no, just no, fine. Just... I think that's that was this stuff is more about experience. And from what I've seen is, you know, there's no easy way to learn diplomacy. You can read books, you can listen to people give high level advice like you just gave. I thought that was that was about as actionable as you can get, but mostly you're only going to learn by getting into the fracas and and picking up on people's yeah you know people's uh, latent and upfront signaling. Well, and I started there by giving you a hard time just because that's how I am. But like that is so true. You know, I I received pretty similar advice from my boss for years, and it still took me a long time to get to a point where you can where you can even feel that way. You know, when you're in the moment. And because you're never going to be able to know everything that's going on in the Firebase team or the Google search team or the Android permissions team or the Flutter team or the augmented reality team or the assistant team, all these different surfaces that the implications of Slice will touch either now or in the future. And so it's there's no like clear-cut answer of like, oh, well, I go home every night and I read all of the internal communications between the, the assistant team and the Firebase team. And maybe you do that for 10 minutes, but you can't do all of that. And so there's... I can't imagine anyone doing that. <laughs> nobody could do that. But so, so there's some degree of you're doing this round-robin switching between learning about all these different technologies and understanding what's going to be the win-win-win-win-win for the 15 teams involved in ultimately being affected by some minor decision in slices. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What's been the hardest part of building slices? There have been a lot of hard parts. Um, backwards compatibility. You know, the fun buzzword I haven't gotten to say is like, we support all the way back to KitKat on slices, which means we go like way up into the like 99% of devices. But yeah, um, backward compatibility is a crazy hard scenario to think about. It's been very hard to get permissions working in that context. So we haven't gotten into the details of permissions, but the way you, uh, permissions for slices work is they're URI-based permissions. So you say you have some URI, which is basically a URL, and you can grant specific apps access to a subspace of that. And you say, you know, this app can read anything under slash play. The difference from that in standard Android URI permissions is that uh, a user can grant them. There's actually a grant flow for a user. The assumption that like maybe you want to use slices outside of whatever anyone was thinking of ahead of time. But the the reason that was so complicated in backend pad is that you know we encountered an issue very late in the game where we found out that URI permissions have this like undocumented limit of how many an Android device will hold on to, and you don't normally hit it because you know in the past URI permissions are used for things like how many folders does an app have access to? And you're not thinking about these in the context of there might be thousands on a device. You know, there might even be thousands for a single app. 
And so like very late game, we found out there's this limit. And when we start scaling, that's going to be a problem. And we had to be like, okay, let's rethink our permission story from the beginning and basically build our own version of URI permissions into our back compat library. Yeah, that was something that was pretty hard. Something which was hard, but not like at a specific instance was um, just thinking about scaling for the future. You know, I would like to get to a point where we have many thousands of these moving around your device and that means that they have to be small and compact and compress and fast. And so all of that like is kind of something sitting in the back of your mind constantly. So you have to think about like, okay, how big is the wire format of this when it's transferring between apps? And you know, how fast does this react? How like are we building the APIs to encourage that developers are building these to respond quickly so that this can happen? So yeah. How are they being like what's the communication protocol between, for example, search and and Spotify? Yeah. So for Android developers who know content providers, they sit on top of content providers. We hit all the terrible parts. Don't worry. Um, I promise. When you get to the core part of a content provider, the really nice thing about it is you say that you have data addressable by a URI and you can acquire that data and act on that data. And so, and that's a lot of what slices are at their core. So that you extend a slice provider, which is kind of like a, a content provider, and you get a callback, which is on bind slice, which is basically anytime you want to bind data from a specific URI to the actual structure. And then inside there, you have builder schemes. And if you're in Kotlin, we have a DSL. Yay, Kotlin. That's mostly how it works. And then there's a scheme for saying like, hey, something changed. Please trigger a rebind. Like, I need to bind my data again. I think that covers it at a high level. But the, like, you know, sort of in reference to the performance, there's a lot of things that we put in there. Like, Originally, we were actually going to run it on the main thread to like to encourage people to think of this as UI. Like this, It's not UI in your app, but it needs to feel like UI. It needs to be that responsive. But we, we didn't end up doing that, but we put the same restrictions as if you were on the UI thread, which is like, you shouldn't be reading from disk. You shouldn't be talking to the network. You shouldn't be doing any long operations here. Instead, what you should do is return... Hey, I've got to load some data. And so in that, we've in our API, we've got bunch of, a bunch of structures which are like, hey, I've got to have a thing here, but it's loading. And so you should do that asynchronously and let us know when you're done loading. Now, does that get tricky? Because you don't want to have to have Spotify be running when you see a slice in Google search, right? So you so you don't necessarily so it would be nice if you could just access the slice data from disk, right? Because you don't want to have that application running. Yeah, and we do. And so the way that works is um, Google Play services, which is the thing which caches them for for search. When it asks for a slice from Spotify that it's going to cache, it waits until Spotify says, I've actually loaded all the data. So it, it says, hey, Spotify, give me a slice. And Spotify says, oh, here's my slice, but like half of it's loading. And Google Play services is just like, oh, that's fine. I'll wait. And then when it is fully loaded, it serializes that to disk. I mean, there are Slice APIs specifically for apps that are hosting slices to be like, here, I want to serialize this to disk and hold on to it for later. And we actually went into this enough that we we made that kind of a core part of the Slice API concept, is which is like anytime you build a Slice, you have to specify a TTL, which is a hint to the presenter of like how stale this data is. And so we'll actually um, show different things in Google search depending on whether we think that this is within, whether this is within TTL. And that means like, oh yeah, we think this data is fresh. We don't need to tell the user that it's old. Or if it's outside of TTL and we'll give the user some hints like, hey, this was updated four hours ago and show them a refresh button. I see. So if I'm searching on, on the Google search and it's rendering a slice and the slice is taking a while to load that's not going to affect my Google search results because the autocomplete for Google search results is is this asynchronous 
behavior and and you can you know you can enter in the first you know p l a y and then you can wait three seconds and if you're on an old phone then maybe after three seconds your spotify slice actually will render because the spotify side of things will finish yeah and well so uh google search actually does a bit more amazing stuff in this they're really conscious of latency and things loading in asynchronously because they know that can be jarring and so they'll do things where if you're typing and something is in a loading state they'll hang on to it for the next character and so generally, I mean, with, the, with some exceptions, obviously, but like for the most part, you won't see the UI in search change unless you type a character. It's one of those things, I, at least for me personally, like I didn't realize until they had, you know, explained it to me. And then I realized it and like saw it on my phone. I was like, oh yeah, it totally does do that. And that actually works really well. Definitely. And so those performance improvements that you're really hoping for, that scalability, do you have a sense for what that's going to look like or what it will require? Yeah. A little bit. I mean, to some degree, some of it, you don't know. Some of it, uh, you know, depends on apps. You can never, you can never be sure what an app is going to do with your API and how they're going to use it wrong. Not to say that all apps are bad, but you get a a few million apps or whatever. I don't, I don't know if it's in the millions. I have no idea how many apps there are. Someone's going to use it wrong. Yeah. Permissions issues, like weird privacy things. You're like, oops. Well, just hanging. Yeah. Ah, hanging. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hanging is one of the most interesting ones. Cause like if you're calling out to them on a, cause there, there's inter-process communication there. And so if you're calling out to them on the wrong thread, you can just like hang one of your threads. Um, so you have to be really conscious of that. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, performance and scaling, um, I think, I think right now we're mostly in kind of like a wait and see, you know, the interesting thing about slices that is different from a lot of Android APIs is that it's, it's a platform concept, but it's also heavily developed in the support library. And so there are accelerators in the platform to make it really performant on P and forward, and we can even improve those over time and like, you know, Android Q or whatever. But we also have like very high-level friend, uh, developer-friendly APIs sitting in the support library. And because of that, we can make adjustments in both places. Like we can make adjustments way down in the OS to say like, hey, let's perform better. Or we can make adjustments up in the support library to say like, oh, this isn't doing great on P. We're going to change how this actually worked. I see. Okay. Well, as we begin to wrap up, what other improvements, changes do you foresee for slices that are going to be made in the near future? Yeah. Well, so Android X recently moved to developing an AOSP, which means all of our all of our support library slash Android X development is completely public. Last night, I merged a prototype of a library which is going to make pending intents much nicer for anyone who deals with pending intents. And I'm hoping to ship that in, out into an alpha release for people as soon as possible because I think it's going to be, I think people are going to be big fans of it. People who deal with slices or notifications or widgets or even a number of other things deal with pending intents in Android apps. And it is a huge amount of boilerplate. And so... Um, you know, normally you have to like put together your arguments into a bundle and then generate an intent of what you would want to launch and then turn that into a pending intent. And finally, you have something which you can give to the something, someone. And we're using annotation processing to try to make that simpler in something we're calling remote callbacks, named TBD, but right now I'm calling it remote callbacks. And that simplifies that into about two lines of, of code, which is like, hey, I want to make a callback and I want to call this method with these parameters and it will just generate the pending intent for you. Cool. And by the way, when you're making these kinds of changes that have ramifications for so many different types of phones, so many different operating system versions, do you have some comprehensive 
testing continuous delivery thing that you push the the changes to and it runs on a bajillion different device configurations before actually getting accepted into Android core? For the most part, we don't. <laughs> For the most part, we don't. There are kind of two scenarios here related to what you are referencing, which is like there's, there's stuff which is in the OS code, um, which runs on your device. And we do have a bit of comprehensive testing across, you know, like Pixel phones and emulators of what we expect. But there's no real way to test that on, you know, say a Samsung device because it's part of the OS and, you know, Samsung would have to build it, build it or LG or, or Sony or whoever. And then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is um, support library. That testing is on a similar set of devices, I think just because of historical reasons, mostly at this point, because in the past support library, when it started as support library, it was just a part of the OS being like, hey, let's backport this stuff for people. Um, And now it's developed into this whole Android X jetpack thing. Or we're like, let's actually make developers' lives easier and really think about that as a core tenant. I don't know where I was going with that, but that seems like a good place to stop with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was going with that. Agreed. <laughs> well, Jason, I want to thank you for coming on the show, and it's been really great talking about such a wide variety of things. I, I appreciate you going there with the stuff that's probably on the verge of discussable with you know assistant and whatever other mysterious surfaces slices will be deployed to and you know maybe we can do another show at some point in the future when those surfaces have uh, breached reality yeah absolutely it's been great being on here and getting to talk about this stuff wow